Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Jan Roos, and I am here today with Arjun Robbins, who's the CEO and founder of How to Manage a Small Law Firm. Thanks for being here, Arjun. Thank you for inviting me. And thank you for doing this for the legal community at large. I do what I can. <laughs> so um, I heard about Arjun from a couple different places, most notably for longtime listeners of the podcast, uh, when we were interviewing some of the fastest growing law firms in the country. So his name kept coming up and the program of how to manage a small law firm. And I just decided that I had to reach out and find out what this whole thing was about, because the only thing that we kept seeing from this was success. So um, now that I got you on the podcast, Arjun, it'd be awesome to learn. I'm, I'm really, really excited for this. But before we get started, would you mind telling us about how it is that you got to where you are today? Sort of the, uh, the origin story, if you will. <laughs> the origin story. A fellow comic book fan, I see. So <laughs> yeah. I grew up in a business family and my whole life sitting around the kitchen table, you know, some families talk business, some families talk politics, some families talk sports or whatever. My family talked business. So I was always kind of around it. And I was told that I should never take business advice from an accountant and I should never take business advice from a lawyer because they're good technicians, but they don't know how to run a business. And this is what I was hearing as a little kid. I graduated from college with an interdisciplinary degree which is another way of saying I bounced around from major to major so much that my parents finally said, it's time to get out. So I graduated with an interdisciplinary degree in communications law, economics, and government from the American University up in DC. And I realized that that was something that was not going to get me a job. And plus I was like really not ready to go out into the world. I was a pretty not together 23 year old. And um, so I went to law school. And then when I got out of law school, I clerk for a bankruptcy judge and graduated clerk for a bankruptcy judge, then opened my own law firm. And it was a disaster. I mean, I just fell on my face. I didn't know anything about the business of running a law firm because I learned the same things in law school that most lawyers learned in law school, which is essentially don't worry about the business of running a law firm. Just be a good lawyer and everything will just magically take care of itself. And so I focused on being the best lawyer that I could be. And my law firm was terrible. The the magic law firm management elves did not come and reward me for being a great lawyer. My marketing wasn't working. My sales wasn't working. I didn't know anything about sales. I didn't know anything about how to create workflow processes, systems, or procedures. I didn't know anything about when, why, how to hire, train, manage, make a profit with staff. I didn't know anything about how to anticipate the physical plant needs for a business. I did not know anything about financial controls, budgeting, cash flow projections, understanding the difference between gross revenue versus gross profit, net income, total owner benefits, normalized. I mean, none of that stuff. I didn't know about cash flow projections. I didn't know about pricing strategies. I know nothing about the business of running a law firm. And so it was a disaster. I discovered that the Florida Bar had a department called the Law Office Management Assistance Service. And I called for help so much that they eventually recruited me And I became the first lawyer, and still today, I believe, the only lawyer in the history of the state of Florida to be a full-time small law practice management advisor with the Florida Bar's Law Office Management Assistance Service. 
that was a really great opportunity because I got to go into hundreds of law firms. Well, every week I was on the phone with anywhere from three to five attorneys a day on every aspect of starting marketing, managing, buying, selling, growing, or dealing with the challenges of not knowing how to run their law firm. And when I wasn't in the office, I was out in the field fixing broken law firms because 54% of the bar grievances that are filed nationally are the result of law firm management problems because lawyers don't know how to run the business and that causes the bar grievance, not to mention cash flow problems and stresses at home and all that kind of other stuff. So that's where I really learned about the business of running a law firm and how I ended up creating how to manage a small law firm. That is a long, long, long story, but the original business plan was actually developed while I was at the Florida bar between 1999 and 2001. That's my yeah, abbreviated gosh, so origin yeah. story. Well, it's also kind of interesting. This reminds me of uh, this old story about Einstein working in the patent office. And it's, you know, people think about all the creativity that he had, but the reality is, you know, he was processing all these different things, all these different innovations, which kind of primed him to have his, his brain sort of wired in that way. So kind of really had this trial by fire you, you were working towards. That's such a great point. I work with lawyers and I'm a pretty smart guy, but I'm definitely not the smartest person in most rooms. I've just seen so many, when you see the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, when you've seen the same thing with 500 bankruptcy lawyers and 500 immigration lawyers and 500 family law attorneys and 500 personal injury attorneys and 500 criminal defense law firms, you don't have to be a genius to figure out what comes next. You have to be kind of stupid not to remember. Right. So the patterns sort of emerge. And then from that point, I mean, you've got all this, this sort of reference experience coming in. Do you, uh, you know, at this point, were you looking for kind of supplementary ways to solve these problems or was this all kind of coming in from trial and error and seeing what ended up working? The way how to manage a small law firm works today is very much figure it out as you go. The best businesses, if you really talk to the owners of most very successful businesses, it didn't start off the way it ended up. You start off with an idea you start off with a purpose, you start out with a mission, you start off with some problem you're trying to solve or some debt you're trying to make in the universe or some point you're trying to make. And you find a way to create some value for people who have that problem. And in the process of figuring out how to sell that solution, the world influences and the world impacts and the world shapes your ideas and your ways of doing business. I would say that how to manage a small law firm today has got to be on its eighth or ninth iteration. You know, if you had version one, version two, you know, version 1.1, 1.2, 1.3, and then you go to version 2.1, 2.2, we got to be on version eight by now. It keeps evolving. It keeps growing. Yeah. So basically it ended up not really being a prescriptive sort of situation. This isn't something you can, you know, pick up a textbook. It's a process that people have to go ahead and, and kind of encounter for themselves. And, you know, the pattern matching is obviously a huge part of that, but it wasn't like you were going to the, you know, the business law library, I sort the business library and figuring out, you know, what's the solution for when uh, your personal injury uh, you know, firm isn't getting any car accident cases. All right. Super interesting. I actually recently was going through an old storage locker and I found my original, original, original business plan that I developed while I was at the Florida bar. This is like circa 2000, 2001 now. And you can see the genesis. You can see the DNA of the business we have today in that original business plan. But the person I was back then was thinking so small 
And the person I was back then understood so little relative to who I am today, just about life. I wasn't married. I didn't have a kid. I was 27 years old, 20 years ago. I was a completely different person than I am today, but the genesis of it was there. And that is usually when you see a lawyer who's got a really successful law firm, be it bankruptcy or any other practice area, you see a person who's got a three, four, $5 million law firm of their own. Usually the genesis of why they did it, the seed is still there. It's just evolved and grown over time. So no one's really going out with the same plan that they set out. No, I found this really interesting. I was looking on your site, Arjun, and um, you've kind of got these distinct stages you have in terms of you know law firm, starting from somebody who just hung a shingle yesterday all the way up to the million dollar club. So as far as people that are kind of starting out, what do you think are sort of the, the common sticking points? And you know, for the time being, let's kind of focus on the person. Maybe they've got a solo practice. They've been running it for a couple of years, you know, kind of shocked to find themselves not on the Inc. 5000 just yet. But what are sort of the common sticking points that you guys see with people when they're kind of getting started? There are six stages that law firms go through as they grow. And these are not prescriptive. These are observed. I'm not prescribing these six stages and saying you should go through these six stages. I'm observing 20 years, everyone goes through these six stages. It's kind of like, you're going to go through puberty. Let me tell you what to expect when it happens. I'm not forcing you to go through puberty or suggesting it as a good idea. It's just how life is, right? If your business is going to go from nothing to two, three, $4 million, your firm is going to go through these six stages. The first stage is zero to $250,000. Zero to two fifty. It's all about hustle market sell, hustle market sell, hustle market sell. Don't worry about getting things perfect. Don't worry about getting everything right. Just get it done and get through that phase as fast as you can. Because once you get to $250,000, most of what you did, you're going to throw away and start over again and do it better. Between zero and $250,000, the biggest challenge they're going to have is they don't have any leverage. They don't have any help. Just because the economics of the firm, there's no money to hire an associate. There's no money to hire a paralegal. There's no money to hire an executive assistant. There's no money to hire a director of marketing. There's no money. If there's only $250,000 in gross revenue, there's no money. There's no resources to buy leverage. And so what you've got to do is you've got to be fast and you've got to make decisions quick and you've got to grow yourself out of the 250 range into you get over 250 and now you start to have some money to hire some staff. The second stage of growth, which is roughly 250,000, and these are about, it's around 250 for most people, around 250 for most practice areas, around 250 for most markets, around $250,000 in gross revenue. The firm starts to evolve into its next version of itself. And that's when you start hiring staff. And the biggest mistake that people make in this second stage of growth is they hire assistants when they should be hiring replacements for themselves. So the attorney will hire a junior associate. Don't hire a junior associate. Hire someone who's as good or even a better lawyer than you to take all the legal stuff off of your plate so you can focus on running the business. You can still do legal work when you want to. You can still jump in to the really juicy, fun, exciting cases, but you don't have to get worn down day after day after day after day doing all of the legal work as well as the marketing, as well as the sales, as well as 
to creating the workflow processes and systems and procedures, as well as training the staff, as well as managing the finances, you know, running the whole business. It takes time to run the business profitably. You want to run the business unprofitably. Well, that has a different price you pay. But the second stage of growth, it's all about learning how to hire and train and manage and make a profit with the staff. The third stage of growth, which happens around $500,000, and again, I'm emphasizing it's not exactly at 500, but around $500,000, things start to shift. You're not going to get a law firm to around $500,000 if you're not pretty decent at marketing, if you're not already pretty good at sales, if you're not already pretty good at creating workflow processes and systems and procedures. You don't have some kind of infrastructure in place. You probably wouldn't have gotten to 500000 in the first place. The big name in the game at that point in the third stage of growth is you've got to learn to run the business by the numbers. You got to start having a data-driven law firm and not just running it based on your gut or your feelings or your emotion or your nerves. You've got to start making better, more mature, more rational, more objective decisions based on data that you can depend on. You got to start really understanding how to read a set of financials budget, budget variance report, cash flow projections start becoming tools that empower you, that you learn to love, and you will learn to love them if you're trained how to use them properly. The fourth stage of growth goes to about a million five. At about a million five, you're starting to make a transition from you being the most knowledgeable person in the firm to bringing on other people who know as much or more than you do about how the business runs. Typically around a million five, you're going to bring in your first full-time professional legal administrator and life gets so much more interesting and life becomes so much easier because that person is going to take a ton off of your plate and do it better than you do it. And they're going to like doing it more than you like doing it. And they're going to do it better than you do it. And because this is a trained professional legal administrator who actually likes the business side of running the law firm. That person is going to get you up to probably around $3 million, at which point you bring in a professional CFO or a controller. And that person is going to get you up to about $5 million. And then it's a whole different conversation. And then it starts to get really, really fun. It's easier to run a $5 million law firm than a $2 million law firm. And it's easier to run a $2 million law firm than a $1 million law firm. And if anyone's listening to this and you're already running a $1 million law firm, you know it's a lot easier to run a $1 million law firm than a $500,000 law firm. And it's a lot easier to run a $500,000 law firm than a $250,000 law firm. And it's exactly the opposite of what people think when they're in the first stage of growth and they're working as hard as they can work and they can't work any harder. And you say you're at around $250,000. Let's grow it to $500,000 in the next 18 months. And they say, are you crazy? I can't work twice as hard. It's not about working twice as hard. It's about shifting gears from first gear to second gear. And you can go twice as fast and work less to get there. So you bring up something that comes up a lot on you know, various stuff that we encounter with either people that we're interviewing or, you know, prospects are potentially working with us, but it's this kind of a belief. And, and one of the things that we used to try to do a really good job of, of trying to, to determine before we ended up wanting to work with somebody with Case Fuel was whether they really had it in them that they wanted to grow. 
And I feel like there's kind of this false idea out there of basically just kind of the lifestyle attorney where, you know, maybe, you know, you're just going to have one person, maybe you got your paralegal in there, you make a you know healthy couple hundred thousand dollars and you just do that and right off into the sunset. But this paradigm you just described, Arjun, kind of flips it all on its head because what you're saying is basically, you know, you actually have more bandwidth as you go higher up into the, uh, the different stages, right? Absolutely. Yes. And then another thing that I found really interesting was uh, sometimes that we kind of saw this, and this is something I kept noticing when I was um, actually interviewing some people that, that, that you've worked with, is that some of the ones that were the most successful had a super good grasp on the numbers. And this is something, you know, obviously, you know, we're in the direct response digital advertising space. So the numbers are always super obvious to us. But we noticed that a lot of the successful firms had a good handle on that. But it turns out that there's actually a distinct order of operations where you have to get a handle of that. As far as kind of the the progression of how people are doing things, like what kind of problems do you see with people focusing on the wrong thing at the wrong stage? Well, I want to say something about the numbers, if you don't mind, before I get to that question. Go ahead. I know the names of a few of our members who you interviewed, but I don't know everyone who you interviewed. And I don't think that they would mind if I said that they certainly didn't come to us knowing the numbers. We taught them the numbers. I have an undergraduate in communications, law, economics, and government, which means I can't do math to save my life. I'm not a math guy. I'm not a numbers guy. <laughs> I went to law school because <laughs> like a lot of us went to law school because we can't do numbers. But I learned about how to use the financials of a business to empower myself. And what I discovered is that lawyers are actually much better at analyzing and interpreting and making better business decisions with the financials once they've been taught how to interpret them, how to understand what they're really saying. And so I just say this to all the lawyers who will be listening to this because you're absolutely right. Your business, one of the things that's really cool about your business is you don't hide from the numbers. You show off the numbers to your clients. You are like, Let us show you how profitable we're helping you be. Let us show you the positive ROI we're getting. And I imagine it must be really frustrating for you when you're trying to show one of your clients that you're helping them get more cases at a lower cost per acquisition than they were getting before. And they say to you, I don't want to look at the numbers or they're afraid of the numbers or they can't appreciate what the numbers are telling them. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. And if it's not that, it's, it's, they have no context for it. It's like, you know, well, okay, let's say that I can get so, I'm going to be too self-serving. You know, let's just say, you know, somebody's doing a $10,000 retainer. We say, okay, cool. We can get you that for $2,000. And they're like, well, you know, is that a lot? Is that a little? They have no context. But, you know, if you, you know, boiling it down for somebody who's even taken a little bit of looking into the definition of return on investment, it usually gets pretty attractive from there. But it's kind of, I would say, a a combination of fear and not really having a frame of reference. Well, look, I mean, they don't teach us anything in law school about the business of running a law firm. They certainly didn't sit us down in law school and explain to us that there's this concept called the cost of goods sold. And you've got to understand what your cost of goods sold are in order to determine if you're actually making a profit on each case or not. So many lawyers, they really are not running profitable businesses. They just have positive cash flow and they mistake positive cash flow for profits as if they're the same thing. And they're most certainly not. We don't have time to get into that here on this podcast, but it's got to be really frustrating for you when you're showing someone that you're actually helping them make a profit 
And all they're looking at is cash flow, not realizing that they're sacrificing real profit for short-term cash flow. But you wanted me to answer something else, and I wouldn't go off of that subject because it's just a pet peeve of mine. What was the question you wanted me to answer specifically? I guess the question was, is there any sort of potential perils of focusing on the wrong thing at the wrong stage? Like, would you be that bad off if you had a extremely good command of your numbers, but your gross profit last month was $1,500? Well, yeah. That's why in the first stage of growth, it's all about hustle market sell. Just get the revenues up to 250. Just get the revenues up to 20,000 a month. It's sort of like if you're steering a boat, if the boat's going very, very slow, it's hard to change directions. If you can speed up just a little bit, you can actually get much more control over the business because if the revenues are under $250,000, you've got no money for anything. I mean, you don't have money to buy help. You don't have money to buy freedom. You're basically just own your own job. And I hope it's fun because you're going to be doing it for a long time if you don't make some changes to the way your law firm is running. And I'm not saying that to be a jerk. It's just the truth. And people need to hear this truth. The biggest mistake people make, I would say, when the revenues are in that first stage of growth, zero to $250,000, is talking to other people whose revenues are zero to $250,000. If I was running my own law firm today, if my best friend was listening to this, if my brother or my sister ran their own law firm and they were revenues under $250,000, my advice to them would be, Don't talk to anyone whose revenues are under $500,000. Don't talk to anyone whose law firm revenues are under $500,000 because what's going to end up happening is you're going to end up talking to people who are essentially trying to enroll you in their stories and their excuses and their rationalizations for why their law firm is under $250,000. Instead, go talk to people whose revenues are $500,000. Go talk to people whose law firm is already over a million dollars because they're not going to believe your bullshit. They're not going to accept your stories and your excuses. They're actually going to hold you accountable and call you out, which is good. That's exactly what you need when your revenues are under $250,000 because there's no reason for anyone to be sitting there with a law firm with revenues under $250,000 for more than 18 to 24 months. Beyond 18 to 24 months, unless this is a intentional lifestyle decision, there's no legitimate reason why other than the obvious, which is no one ever taught you the business of how to run a law firm. It's not your fault, but now you can learn about the business of running a law firm, learn how to write a business plan, learn how to create a marketing plan, learn how to actually meet with prospective new clients and convert them into paying clients, learn sales, learn how to create workflow processes and systems and procedures, learn how to hire, train, manage, and make a profit with staff, learn how to run your business by the numbers. You can interpret financials so you can become empowered by the numbers in your business. Learn how to run your law firm like an actual business and stop running it like a hobby. That's what you do when your revenues are under $250,000. That's the big peril is they hang around with too many people who have too many excuses and stories and justifications. You're bringing something else into context. It's, it's kind of funny. I feel like um, I'm seeing the matrix in parts during this conversation, John, because one of the ways when I was especially starting out Case Fuel was uh, you know, I was doing a lot of uh, local networking stuff, which is a really, really common thing for, I know a lot of lawyers starting out, you join your local BNI chapter, you go to your bar happy hours, that sort of thing. 
I'd probably guess from your experience, you wouldn't be seeing a lot of people in the $5 million plus um, <laughs> category uh, waking up at 7am to hang out business cards. So you know, my question kind of from there is like, you know, there's some very obvious networking things for people to do that seem to kind of draw the people that have more time than money to spend. How would you recommend people go about up-leveling the kind of conversations that they're having with people? Well, for one thing, you got to establish some standards for yourself in life. A friend of mine who actually owns a multi-million dollar martial arts studio. And let me tell you, if you can build a multi-million dollar martial arts studio, you can sure as hell build a multi-million dollar law firm. He has this great way about him. And he told a group of people years ago, and I respected him, made me want to be friends with him. He said, you got to qualify to hang out with me. In other words, you have to qualify to be my friend because you have to be so protective of your mindset and you have to be so protective of what you believe is true and what people want to convince you is true if you want to grow your law firm. So you're asking me, where do you go if your revenues are under $250,000? Where do you go to network to avoid hanging around with the excuse makers? Is that what you're asking me? Yeah, the crabs in the bucket. (laughs) The crabs in the bucket. I love that analogy, exactly. Where do you go? Well, I mean, at the risk of being too self-serving, can I be a little self-serving? Can I give myself a plug? Yeah, that's fair. Well, how to manage a small law firm. You know, we are the largest provider of outside fractional CEO, COO, and CFO services for solo and small law firms in the country. Think of it like a timeshare CEO for your law firm. We have live quarterly meetings that all of our members come to about a third of them bring their spouse or significant other to the meeting. About 20% of our members actually bring their kids for our kids club or our teenage entrepreneurs program that we run these. And we run these meetings once a quarter. There's no additional charge. Once you remember, we invite you to come to these. We encourage you to come to these, these meetings. And you get to be around hundreds, hundreds and hundreds, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of entrepreneurial law firm, solo and small law firm owners, about 50% have revenues under $250,000. About 50% have revenues over $250,000. About 20% probably have revenues of $700,000 to a million. I don't have the exact statistics in front of me. But you get around a group like that, and it's going to be really hard to go home and say you can't do it. You know, when person after person after person who you meet tall, short, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, gay, straight, left-handed, right-handed, this practice, that practice, some other practice, big market, small market, you name it. When they're all doing it, you can't go home and say you can't do it. Short of that, the next best thing I would say is find the most successful law firm owner in your market. Find the person who's got the million dollar, the multi-million dollar solo or small law firm. And what you will find is they are the nicest, most generous, most encouraging, most supportive people. It's the people who are broke, who are fighting so viciously over the crumbs. People who already have a multi-million dollar law firm and they're comfortable and they're not worried about where their mortgage payment is going to come from next month, and they're not worried about where their kid's college tuition or where the next private school tuition is going to come from next month. They're the people who aren't threatened by you. They're the people who are going to be the most encouraging for you. And as, as gutsy and ballsy as it may seem to do, I promise you, you know, maybe one or two of them are going to be assholes, but I'm telling you, 
you have a much better chance of finding someone who's going to be encouraging and supportive and welcoming to someone who's really making a commitment to grow their business and have a better life amongst people who have already done it. So that would be my advice is literally just pick up the phone and call someone or write them a letter. Don't send them an email, write them a letter in the mail. Dear so-and-so, I think you have a really successful law firm. I'm really impressed with what you've done. My name is so-and-so. I started my law firm whenever. My law firm is grossing this much. My goal is to be like you someday. I'd like to come over to your office and meet with you and maybe even if you'll let me take you out for dinner and just pick your brain and learn about how you did what you did. I'm telling you, you're going to find a really welcome reception if you do that. So to tag along on that kind of idea of going out to somebody who's really successful, how can somebody who might be a little bit earlier on the path offer some value to somebody in that position? Or is there no need to offer value at all? Listen, it is so rare to find someone who has the courage and the humility to just reach out and ask for help. It's just a refreshing, wonderful gift when we I'll just speak for myself. When someone reaches out to me in business and just says, I see what you've done. I'm trying to do something with my life. I'm trying to do something with my career. I'm trying to do something with my business. I would like to just come and ask you some questions about business. It's just so refreshing. It's so unusual. It's so rare that that ever happens. I didn't get to where I'm at without a lot of people helping me along the way. A lot of people had to pay it forward to help me get to where I'm at right now. Friends, family, and so many total strangers that I can't even begin to know where to thank everyone. What kind of person am I if I don't try to do the same thing? That's the thing about working with someone and talking to someone and reaching out to someone who's already built something really successful. You know, Zig Ziglar had a saying, and he said, the best part of becoming a millionaire is who you have to become in order to become a millionaire. I'm probably butchering the quote, but I think you get the idea. I didn't become the owner of the business that I have today without becoming the person I am today. And the person I am today couldn't exist without a lot of people helping me along the way. And I think what you're going to find is that this is true of almost everyone who has built a successful law firm of their own too. Certainly true of all of our members. Tell you that for sure. Yeah. I want to add one more thing to that, if you don't mind. Go ahead. Two more things. One, if you go there making a bunch of excuses, looking for them to buy into your stories, looking for validation for why they can do it, but you can't, you won't be invited back. That's number one. The worst thing to bring someone who's got a multi-million dollar business are your stories and your excuses because they just don't want to hear it. And number two, if I may be so bold on your podcast to make this offer, if anyone's listening to this and you just can't find someone with a successful law firm who will agree to let you take them to lunch or dinner to pick their brain about how they did it, contact us and we'll put you in touch with one of our members in your market. We've got members in like 38 different states. Chances are you can't be too far from one of them. That's super generous, Arjun. They have to mention Case Fuel, and then we'll extend that courtesy. If they don't mention Case Fuel, we're not going to extend that courtesy. 
All right, guys. And then um, we'll have the contact information for Arjun at the end of the show and in the show notes. So if you guys want to take advantage of that, he'll be available right there. Okay. So um, bit of a twist. So, I mean, we've been talking about places to get in front of some people that are pretty successful. Examples of success and how that can really, to getting you inspired to do something on your own for your law firm. Um, wanted to switch the conversation a little bit to the Law Firm 500, which I know you guys are a sponsor of. Um, do you mind tell us a little bit more about that? I know there's an event coming up. Yeah. So this is all inspired by the Inc. 5000, which you mentioned earlier. The Inc. 5000 is a celebration of the 5,000 fastest growing privately held companies in the country. By the way, I'm proud to tell you that my firm, How to Manage a Small Law Firm, we made the Inc. 5000 for five years in a row for fast growth. Anyway, Law Firm 500 is a celebration of the fastest growing law firms in the country. We've got AmLaw 100 and AmLaw 200 that celebrate the, the largest law firms in the country, but there wasn't anyone out there really celebrating fast-growing law firms. And as you've alluded to in our conversation, most people have a very bad misconception about what causes a law firm to grow. The fact of the matter is that what causes a law firm to grow sustainably year after year after year, I'm not talking about just the one-hit wonders, but what causes a law firm to grow year after year after year is creating value for clients. If you're not creating value for clients, if you're not manufacturing happy clients year in and year out, your law firm cannot grow. You can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. If your law firm is not delivering and creating real authentic value for your clients, there's no way for it to grow. So when you see these law firms growing over a three-year period, which is the measurement, when you see them growing over three years, 50% in three years, 100% in three years, 500% 500% in three years, 1,000% in three years, 2,000% growth in three years. How do you think they're doing it? It's not by magic. They're doing it because they're making lots and lots and lots of happy clients. They're doing a great job. They're adding value in the world. You know, there's just too many people who have too many stories and excuses about, oh, you know, the only way for law firms to grow fast is by hurting people or taking advantage of people. That's so stupid. I mean, if you think about that for five minutes, you realize how implausible that excuse or that story is. The only way to actually do it is to help people. So we're, we're really happy to help create the Law Firm 500, which is open to everyone, any law firm, any size law firm. The rules for applying are on the website, but you don't have to be a member of how to manage a small law firm. You don't have to be a customer or a client of Case Fuel. You don't have to do business with any of the sponsors of Law Firm 500. You just apply. There's no fee to apply. It's totally free to apply. And it is a totally 100% merit-based award. Uh, Wherever you are in the rankings, that's where your law firm is in the rankings. And I'll tell you that putting Law Firm 500, one of the fastest growing law firms in the country, on your website and in your marketing, and you can back me up on this, I think, I've heard lots of stories from lots of winners who have said that the clients told them that it made the difference between choosing Law Firm A versus Law Firm B. It's an added validation. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely Good. I was going to say like, you know, there's, there's so many uh, kind of paper awards that you can see. I don't want to name any names here, but um, we all know the banners that you can pay a fee every single year for to get on your site. And, you know, it doesn't really once, you know, even if, if clients aren't directly aware of it, 
if everyone is, let's say, superb lawyer, uh, it doesn't really mean that anyone is at all. But that's, you know, getting an actual merit-based thing is, you know, that, that's got to be pretty, pretty impressive. So I think it's a really valid thing to say to a client, a prospective client or a current client, and especially when you're recruiting staff. Look, our law firm grew 373% in the last three years. We did this by really doing a great job for our clients, by really making people happy, by really doing the right thing with our staff. That has a lot of credibility. Yeah. A hundred percent. And that's the other thing too. It's, you know, for prospective people hiring as well, it's, you know, not that either of are in the corporate world, but you know, I've got a lot of friends that are on the same track. I was, you know, friends from, from, you know, just, uh, high school, college, when it comes to actually these people that are in the position that's very different than what any you know, owner of a law firm is in, in terms of which wagon am I going to hitch myself to for the next year, years, decades, maybe if things work out, you're going to be a lot better if you're attaching it to a shooting star than something that's going to be in the same place five years from now. The average small law firm in this country is growing at 5% per year. You know that? That's it. 5% per year, which is better than the Amlaw 100, which is only growing at 2% per year. How am I going to attract the best and the brightest attorneys? How am I going to attract a kick-ass paralegal? How am I going to attract an amazing executive assistant if I can't show them where there's career growth opportunities for them? On the other hand, if I can say, hey, listen, our firm grew 750% in the last three years, there will be opportunities for you if you get in now and help us grow, you're going to attract better people. Yeah, especially when we're talking about going through those later stages of growth. That's absolutely key. I know that we had a certain amount of time booked and we are past it by quite a lot. I feel like we could talk about this all day. I certainly would be open to a follow-up podcast, maybe in a couple months. What's the best way for people to, uh, to reach you guys? What other stuff should people know about any applications for the Law Firm 500? What, uh, what should people know? Well, first off, you can go to our website, howtomanageasmalllawfirm.com. And I want to also say that there's an app. You can download the app that will allow you to essentially turn your smartphone into essentially a mobile classroom. And you'll be able to search for law firm management topics, marketing topics, sales topics, staffing topics. You can search by topic and listen to podcasts that are produced by me and my team and some content that's shared by our members to help you with anything you've got going on in your law firm. And you can get that at howtomanageasmalllawfirm.com and it's totally free. That's just our gift to the legal industry, our gift to the world. Second is if you want to apply for Law Firm 500 or just buy a ticket to attend Law Firm 500 and keynote speakers in the past, uh, Damon John from Shark Tank was a keynote speaker. Aaron Brockovich was a keynote speaker. This year, Mike Michalowicz, the author of Profit First, he'll be the keynote speaker. You can just go to lawfirm500.com, the number 500, and there's a button to click to apply. Like I said, there is no cost to apply. Anyone who tells you there's a fee to apply is mistaken. It's totally free. The data is all crunched by an accounting firm, and it's all completely objective. And then I will since I didn't know that I was going to make the offer to introduce your audience to successful lawyers in their local market who would be happy to go have lunch or dinner and and let them pick their brain. Yeah, we'll get that in the show notes. But yeah, that's a super generous offer, Arjun. And also like such awesome information that you've provided. Um, So for anyone listening, I know this has been like a pretty wide ranging conversation. If you kind of want to look at the high level of this, there's really no 
hard and fast rules for how to, to manage a small law firm, despite, you know, the simplicity of uh, Arjun's business. It really is almost like levels of a video game. You have to focus on different things at different levels. But I'd say one thread that kind of runs through all of this, and if you guys are re-listening to this, which I highly recommend, the mindset's got to be there at every step. You don't want to be small in your thinking. You don't want to hang around small thinkers. And if you can kind of stay out of, uh, around that, maybe get some help from Arjun or people like, like Arjun. The sky's the limit of how you just want to apply yourself. So thanks again, Arjun. I super appreciate you taking the time to speak with uh, us in the audience. Again, thank you for having me, and I appreciate you reaching out to me. You met some of our members in prior podcasts, and um, I think the work you're doing is really impressive for your clients. All right. Thank you so much. All right, everybody. So um, stay tuned next week for another awesome episode of the Law Firm Growth Podcast. Until then, this is Jan Roos signing out. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.